Hey there, it's me, Jesse Tyler Ferguson, that redheaded actor from Modern Family. I have a podcast. It's combining a couple of my favorite things, talking and food. Please join me as I dine with the biggest names in entertainment, people like Julie Bowen, Kristen Bell, Fred Armisen, and so many more. It's called Dinners on Me, and you're invited. Am I saying a chocolate souffle is going to get me to reveal all of my secrets? Yeah, I am. Listen now, wherever you get your podcasts. It's been nearly a month since the beginning of the impeachment inquiry into President Trump. Here are some news developments to keep you up to speed. The Washington Post reported Monday that President Trump's effort to pressure Ukraine for information about his political rivals came as Russian President Putin, Hungarian Prime Minister Orban, and other adversaries of Ukraine urged Trump to adopt a hostile view of that country. Their disparaging depictions fed a dysfunctional dynamic in which White House officials struggled to persuade Trump to support the fledgling government in Kiev instead of exploiting it for political purposes. Tuesday, Trump called the impeachment inquiry a, quote, lynching in an inflammatory tweet that drew swift condemnation from Democrats and even several Republicans. Since the impeachment probe officially began last month, Trump has tried to discredit it on how unfairly he says it's being conducted, using terms such as witch hunt and coup. His tweet Tuesday morning seized on a word associated with the murder of thousands, predominantly African-Americans. Also, in perhaps the biggest news Tuesday, the senior U.S. diplomat in Ukraine, acting ambassador William Taylor, testified in a closed-door hearing that he was told release of military aid was contingent on public declarations from Ukraine that it would investigate the Bidens and the 2016 election. Taylor's testimony contradicts Trump's denial that he used the money as leverage for political gain. Taylor was called to testify because he had in the past raised alarms about the Trump administration's interactions with Ukrainian President Zelensky. News out of the impeachment inquiry, as you know by now, is moving quickly. But amidst all of those breaking news moments, we've been getting a lot of questions from Can He Do That listeners and from Washington Post readers about how the impeachment process works and what could happen. And one interesting question that has come up several times, what actually happens to a president who's impeached? And more specifically, can a president who's impeached run for re-election. So we decided to take a step back and unpack that question. It's a scenario that hasn't quite been tested before, and the pieces of history and law that offer insight into how such a scenario could play out are complicated. But we have answers. This is Can He Do That, a podcast that explores the powers and limitations of the American presidency and what happens when branches of government collide. I'm Allison Michaels. To help me understand many of the possible outcomes from this impeachment process and where they leave a president seeking re-election, I called a law professor. Jessica Levinson is a professor at Loyola Law School and the director of the Loyola Public Service Institute. There are lots of possible scenarios that might play out as this impeachment inquiry moves forward, so I started out by asking Jessica about the potential consequences of what seems like the most likely scenario. If a president is impeached in the House and then acquitted by the Senate, can he run for re-election? Yes, he can. If a president is impeached in the House and acquitted in the Senate, it means that he is still the sitting president. He absolutely can run for a re-election. And if he wins the Electoral College, then he is the president who's going to serve two terms. 
So aside from the political implications of potentially being impeached and then acquitted by the Senate, there's nothing in the Constitution that would bar a president from running again after impeachment. Absolutely. That's right. So impeachment does not mean that you're removed from office. Impeachment doesn't mean that you're prevented from running for reelection. Impeachment is essentially like the House of Representatives saying, here's an indictment and Senate, you now put this on trial. So it's just, for instance, if you think about any criminal defendant, you can indict that criminal defendant. But if they're not convicted, then they're not viewed as a felon or somebody who's committed a misdemeanor. They're not viewed as a criminal, which means that all of the restrictions on criminals don't apply to them. What if a president is impeached in the House and then convicted by the Senate? Can a president who's convicted of high crimes and misdemeanors run for re-election? Once the president is impeached in the House and then convicted in the Senate, that we haven't tested this. But I think if you look at the Constitution, if you look at the founders' intentions here, that the answer is no, you cannot then run for re-elections because of the penalties that are carried along with conviction. Again, we haven't tested this. I expect that particularly this president, President Trump, would try and litigate this. I expect that if President Trump does stand for trial in the Senate, that he would essentially ask Mitch McConnell to ask two different questions. One, should he be convicted? And two, should he be prevented from running for office? Essentially, the kind of guilt phase and then the penalty phase. There is something that happens if you're removed by the Senate, and that is you don't get to come back and run for re-election. And and so it's my understanding that the Constitution outlines these two pieces specifically, right? That conviction by the Senate carries two penalties, one, removal from office, and two, what's described as disqualification to hold and enjoy any office or honor, trust or profit under the United States. So what you're saying here is that these two pieces can be broken up into two votes, but it's likely that the founders intended that if the first is true, conviction, then the second, that you can't hold office again, should be true, too. Yeah. So I don't mean to obfuscate. And I know that this sounded like a law professor's answer of like, well, it could be this and it could be that. And I hate that. And my students hate that. So let's unpack that for a second. I mean, what we really mean is that if you're removed from office, you can't hold that office anymore. But in terms of the penalties that come along with it, we haven't tested for a presidency if those penalties are automatic. So you could see, for instance, Mitch McConnell deciding to hold a trial in the Senate where he says, um, you know, we're basically going to kind of bifurcate those questions. So the first question will be whether or not you're removed. Second question will be what the penalties associated with that removal are. You could also see a situation where Mitch McConnell will say, I'm looking at the reading of the Constitution. He's thinking not just of President Trump, but he's also thinking of future presidents and the precedent that this would set. And he's saying, I want to run a trial where we know that if we remove this president, that there are some repercussions to that and that they can't run for reelection again. And we've never seen this scenario play out in American history, right, where a president is convicted by the Senate and then removed from office. So if you think about President Johnson, President Clinton, uh, President Nixon, the presidents who either went through or almost went through the impeachment process, none of them were removed. There's a lot of different parts of the Constitution we haven't really tested out when it comes to removing a president. Impeachment process is one of them. We haven't gone all the way, so to speak. We haven't gone through the entire process. The 25th Amendment is another. We haven't tested that removal process. Now, Johnson, he 
was acquitted by the Senate, but he did, in fact, try to run for re-election. He never ran in the general election, so he lost in the primary. So that's kind of another way, right, that we haven't tested the system of whether or not a president who's been acquitted in the Senate could sustain a general election and win. Well, so I think that's an easier answer, which is if you're just impeached in the House and you're not convicted in the Senate, I think the Constitution, the best reading is you can run for re-election. Again, because it means kind of almost by definition, we didn't think enough was there there in order to remove you from office. So it doesn't really make sense that you would then have to live with other repercussions of the impeachment, like the inability to run for re-election. If you're looking for a smoking gun, I can absolutely guarantee you, you will not find it. In October 2001, a series of letters filled with a deadly powder called anthrax were dropped into the U.S. mail system. What started as an unprecedented case turned into an unsettling mystery. Who sent these deadly letters and why? From Campside Media and Sony Music Entertainment, I'm Josh Dean, and this is Cover Up Season 4, The Anthrax Threat, available now. Would the courts at any point here need to get involved to determine whether or not it's constitutional for the president to run for re-election if he is impeached, if he's acquitted, if he is convicted? Is there a role for the courts in this process? Potentially, much to the chagrin of the courts and particularly Chief Justice John Roberts, who I think wants to get absolutely nowhere near this and wants to get as far away from the impeachment process as possible and really does not want to preside over a trial in the Senate. I mean, I, again, I think if we think of this as temporal snapshots, so what happens first? If the president is just impeached, then I think the best reading is that the president can still uh, run for re-election if, in some weird scenario where the Senate doesn't take up the trial. If the president is impeached and then acquitted, I think the best answer is the president gets to run for re-election. If the president is impeached and then convicted and removed from office, then I think that we have a closer call. Then I think we might see the courts involved because I think this president will want to run for re-election. And that last scenario is probably where you would see uh, the courts get involved. Now, forgive me for all of these hypotheticals, but what about the idea that if a president did win a second term after having been impeached and acquitted and then did something that the House majority thought rose to the level of impeachment again, could he constitutionally be impeached again? Yes. So you, there's no kind of limit on number of impeachments. It's not like you only get two impeachments for every presidency <laughs> and then you must return home. You cannot pass go. So the idea is that uh, if there's an impeachable offense, then you investigate that. You drop articles of impeachment. There is no limit. For instance, if you saw the Democrats in the House now want to drop articles of impeachment based on this call with the president of Ukraine. They could do that. It doesn't limit their ability to then later drop articles of impeachment regarding the Mueller report. Or if there's new evidence of new wrongdoing, it doesn't prevent their ability to draw up different articles of impeachment. 
I'm also wondering about some of the other consequences that might come to a president who's convicted in the Senate. There's this law from from 1958, for example, the former President's Act, that essentially outlines what a president is entitled to after he he leaves office. Things like a pension, Secret Service protection, some medical care. But these things only apply to presidents who are not removed from office by the Senate. So essentially, if the president is removed, he wouldn't get those things. Aside from those things, then, are there other things a president might be denied or, or cannot do once convicted? So I think that you could see, like, for instance, if the president wanted to become an attorney, I think that there are many, many bars, if not every state bar in the country would say, no, there's an issue here. If you saw a president, for instance, who wanted to run for another federal office, I think that the president could face serious questions as to whether or not that would be permissible. Even in certain states, if you saw the president, for instance, wanted to run for governor, I think that those states might decide that under their constitutions, that's not permissible, or under a reading of the federal constitution, that's not permissible. What about a president who's acquitted? Are there any consequences beyond the obvious political ones that that he might face? So not that I'm aware of. Impeachment doesn't carry an automatic penalty other than the idea that you then have to stand for trial in the Senate. Impeachment is kind of like the House deciding that there's enough there to refer this to a prosecutor. So if you want to think of the House of Representatives more like a grand jury, they're reviewing all the information and they're then deciding, is there enough to indict? And then the indictment would go to the prosecutors. And so there's no automatic penalties that would go along with that decision to indict. And in the same way, I don't think there are any automatic penalties that would go along with the decision to impeach. It's one of these weird kind of quasi-legal, quasi-political decisions. And the consequences are really largely political. Yeah, well, that brings me to my next point, which is that impeachment is, as you say, inherently a political process to some degree, carried out by Congress, a political body. Was that the intention of the founders for impeachment to be so political and and potentially so divisive? Well, I don't think that the founders were super excited to think of how hyper-partisan and divided our country might be. I mean, I think the idea is that we have to have a safety valve. There has to be some escape hatch if a duly elected president uh, transgresses the bounds of acceptable behavior. And that's why I think that this is left so broad and there's it's left to so much discretion in the sense that The founders don't define high crimes and misdemeanors. And this is left, I think, purposefully very broad. You can see this in a lot of different places in the Constitution where things are left up to the judgment of future generations of lawmakers. So I think that what they're doing is really trying to give future lawmakers enough space to determine whether or not a president had engaged in behavior that was so problematic that he or she should be impeached. Again, we see so many different clauses in the Constitution where there's a kind of almost maddening level of discretion that's left up to either judges or lawmakers. And this is one of them. We basically just have understandings of what we think a high crime or misdemeanor is. We don't have any bright line legal rules here. Right. So then do you think the founders anticipated how often this process would be applied to a president? This has now happened twice in in 20-ish years. Do we have a sense of whether that would be more or less frequent than the founders might have intended for this process? 
I don't. I mean, I think the founders expected and hoped that this would be rare. The Constitution is this fascinating document where it's both based on trust and distrust. And they acknowledge the idea that the people might make errors. And so where's the first place where they're kind of worried, oh, the people might really screw up when it comes to electing a president? They implement an electoral college. You know, where's the second place? We have a process of impeachment. And so what we know is that the founders understood that the voters could make mistakes. But what we don't know is how often they thought we would make these mistakes. And some of them may have envisioned that this would be used largely as a political tool. Some of them may have thought this would have been used more often. If you look at the history of the founders' documents, I don't think that there was some sort of, you know, understanding as to, you know, it would be used only once every 30 years. Jessica, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. This has been another episode of Can He Do That? We have appreciated your reader questions. We used one for this episode, so send me more questions. If you want to get more news about the impeachment inquiry, you can now subscribe to a new podcast feed from The Washington Post. All of our audio updates on the inquiry in one place, including the latest from Can He Do That? Post reports and The Daily 202's Big Idea. Updated whenever news happens. Subscribe at WashingtonPost.com podcasts. Can He Do That is a team effort here at The Post. It's produced by the charming Carol Alderman with design help from Kat Rudell-Brooks, logo art from Loren Boglio, and theme music by Ted Muldoon. If you're looking for a smoking gun, I can absolutely guarantee you, you will not find it. In October 2001, a series of letters filled with a deadly powder called anthrax were dropped into the U.S. mail system. What started as an unprecedented case turned into an unsettling mystery. Who sent these deadly letters and why? From Campside Media and Sony Music Entertainment, I'm Josh Dean, and this is Cover Up Season 4, The Anthrax Threat, available now. Now. 